And as you know, we go verse by verse, book by book, to just let the Lord speak to us. That way, when your kids grow up, uh, they don't remember the same three sermons from their entire childhood. They can say, well, I have heard that. We've preached through the whole New Testament almost. We're working our way through the Old Testament. And so I've heard the whole counsel of God. But today, when we come to a a passage like this in Mark chapter 2, I want to talk to you about salvation is all about Jesus. And as we take the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today, and we do it as a time of remembrance for those of us that are saved, It is a witnessing opportunity for those of you who have never been saved. It is a time of reflection and remembrance. It's a time of celebration. It is important to remember, though, why it all matters. What really is it about? Is taking the Lord's Supper the something that's going to get you to heaven, not according to the Word of God? Is taking the Lord's Supper going to make you more acceptable in God's eyes? No, not according to God's Word. Is it something that matters as you and I reflect and let the Spirit of God deal with our hearts and the things in our lives that no one else knows about? Absolutely. But none of it matters if first you do not know who Jesus is. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, we looked in the beginning of chapter 2 about how Jesus forgave a man, the paralytic man whose friends lowered him through the roof. And so we looked that he has the power to forgive. Last week we looked at how the group of people that he was willing to forgive. And we looked at the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was with. When we come to chapter 2, verse 18, though, we begin to see opposition. We begin to see friction start to happen. And it's interesting that who it comes from. It comes from the followers of John the Baptist. It comes from the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. The people who should have known, should have been focusing on him, are the ones that are the most upset. John the Baptist had literally told his followers what? There comes the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. But John the Baptist was in prison at this time. And so all of those followers of his who had followed him, who had went to the wilderness with him, are now leaderless. We don't know if the Pharisees went to this disgruntled group of men or not, or they went to the Pharisees. But as we know something, misery loves company. And friends, when your heart is not right with God, you need to know something. Satan will send people into your life just to stir the pot. Just to allow you a place to vent and to get frustrated. And that unforgiveness, that bitterness, whatever's in your heart will begin to spread. We see this very same thing in John chapter 3. When they came to to John the Baptist earlier and said, why is everyone following Jesus? Why are his crowds growing and our crowds diminishing, right? There was a, a dispute. And John said, he must increase, I must decrease. So if there was already bitterness and jealousy and unforgiveness in their heart at that point, just imagine over that next six months, when not only are their crowds getting smaller, 
their leader is in prison. No one is paying attention to them. No one is listening to them. They are having to be obedient. They are fasting two days a week. They're not going certain places. They're going through all of these rules and rituals to be right with God. And here's Jesus, the supposed Messiah, hanging out out with the most hated and wicked and vile of people. And at some point they just had had enough. Why is he having all of the enjoyment and we're keeping all the rules? Why is he hanging out with these people that don't deserve it and yet we have done everything right? Look what it says in Mark chapter 2 verse 16 if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word just to remember the context that we're studying. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here's our text. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unstruck cloth on an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wineskin in old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts with wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put in new wineskins. If you would pray with me. Father, this morning I come, Lord, asking for forgiveness. Lord, if there's anything in my heart or life that would hinder, that would grieve, that would quench your spirit and his work in this place today. Father, we're trusting your promise that your word will never return void. And so today, Lord, I pray for this congregation. Lord, that you would help us to allow your spirit to work and to convict and to move Father, do not let it be said about us like it was the children of Israel, that we have hardened our hearts, that we have resisted, that we have refused your Spirit's work in our life. Today, Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those that do not know you yet, Lord, that today you would do a great work in their life. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Two very quick things this morning. You said three songs, a quick sermon, and the Lord's Supper. That is our goal today. But hopefully, today I will just pray that you will really allow the Spirit of God to deal with your relationship with Jesus. Because I have done this long enough to know that there is bitterness in the church. There's unforgiveness in the church. There is hurt and there is pain. There are struggles 
in the church. There are so many things going on in our life that has our attention that we don't want to deal with, that we don't want to talk about. If we can just come to church and put on our best clothes and sit with a smile on our face, and if we can just get through Sunday, then we'll go back to the struggle of life. But friends, I don't believe that's how God wants you to live. I believe God wants you to come open and honest before Him, letting His Spirit and His Word deal with you and change you and encourage you and strengthen you. And when you leave here, while you have problems at home, while you have struggles in your marriage, while you have difficulties at work, you leave here knowing that the God who fights for you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God that lives within you can lead you and can guide you and direct you where you need to be, in the situations you need to be, in the situations that other people need you to be. I I struggle with this because I've been a, a Baptist my whole life. And there are certain groups in Baptist churches that like to talk about how the Holy Spirit is, is not doing much and He's not leading much and you've gotta, you're almost afraid to allow Him to lead you and guide you and direct you because someone's going to slap the cookie out of your hand. And I can tell you I've done this long enough to know that in order to please everyone I have always really tried to say, well, that don't sound quite right, or that don't mean quite right, or all of those things. And I've really been praying, Lord, wherever your spirit leads, and whatever he wants of me, Lord, I I just want to go there. How this works sometimes, it's not always the way you think it will. Made a trip to a a town not very far from here this week, and uh, I was taking something to an individual, and I was in a pair of dress pants and a dress shirt. And my good Sunday shoes, and uh, I thought, boy, these pants are just a little bit tight. I, uh, I won't think much about it. I need to make this visit. It's an important visit. And when I got there, uh, an individual had fallen and had hurt himself, and so some of the family was pulling up some pavers. And I thought, well, I'm not letting those ladies pull them pavers up without me helping. You're right, my mom raised me better than that. I've been over to pick up that first paver. And I'll give you one guess what happened. From the very top all the way to the seam. Rip! And as I stood there laughing, they were laughing. I was humiliated. I just kept picking up, kept picking up those pavers and said, Lord, praise the Lord, I wore underwear. Amen? And we got that paver done, and, and we left. And, and, and you know how it is when life's hard, and life's difficult, and life's challenging, and something comes along like that, and you just, it just encourages you. You say, Jake, you believe that was the leadership of the Spirit? I believe if you can encourage someone, if you can uplift someone, and it's not sinful, I believe I was there for a reason. Now, the Lord probably didn't intend for me to wear pants that were too tight, all right? But I was a blessing in more than one ways to them. And thankfully, I had a, another pair of pants in the van because this is starting to become a regular occurrence. And, uh, but I, I say all of that because you and I need to understand something. The Lord does not meet you here and then just leave you through the week 
When God saved you, He came to live within you. That means where you go, He goes. That means what you experience, He understands. The Bible says that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in every area of our life. And so when we look at salvation, when we look at a personal relationship with the Lord, you need to know something. You have got to allow Him to lead you, guide you, direct you, encourage you, convict you if you want to see spiritual victories in your life. You say, Jake, what does that have to do with this? I'm there. Look at the first thing this morning. Jesus explains how the truth changes someone's life. Don't miss that. Jesus explains how the truth changes someone's life. If you are here today and you're a child of God and you cannot tell someone how Jesus has changed your life, you're lost. If you're here and you're a believer and you have started to wonder how God is at work in your life, you have drifted from where you should be. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Jake, I... I, I'm not a Christian, and, and can God really change my life? I want you to look up here and hear me. Yes, He will change everything about it. He will change who you are. He will change where you go. He'll, he will transform you, the Bible says, into a new creation, a new creature. And so let's just look here in verses 18 through 20. We won't read them for the sake of time. But John and the Pharisees' disciples prayed and fasted twice a week. As you know from what the Bible tells us in the New Testament, that they would have went to the temple, they would have made themselves look like they were fasting. If you remember the story that we looked at last week when we began our text, that he was praying, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector, I'm not like him. And so Jesus' disciples are not at the temple, they're not fasting, they're not going through all of this outward display of religious exercise. And so they come to him and say, why? Why are you not doing these outward signs? One, you need to know something, that self-righteousness, the outward appearance of godliness, never pleases the Lord. You can sit on these seats, and you can sing these songs, and you can clap your hands, and you can just smile. But friends, if there are things in your heart and in your life that God's Word says shouldn't be there, friends, you are these people. If you're looking at, at Jamie thinking, boy, I'm so angry with him, he did two hymns instead of one hymn. Or you're sitting there looking across the aisle going, I'm telling you what, I sat with that person, and I just can't... I'm telling you today that self-righteousness that you are trying to portray to everyone else, God says, I don't want any of it. God says when you come to worship Him, He wants you to worship Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and what? Strength. He doesn't expect perfection. He expects humility. God doesn't expect us to have all of the answers, all of the right things. He expects us to be willing to come like that tax collector, that sinner that we looked at last week, that Lord says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I can't earn your love. I don't deserve your love. But God, I need you in my life. And so Jesus' response to this is, how can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? If you know anything about this time, weddings were a big deal. They would have went on for days and the celebrations and the preparations. And he says a, a wedding is not a time of sadness. 
It's not a time of, of misery. It's not a time of, of, of grief. It is a time of joy. And he says we are celebrating, we are worshiping, we are enjoying. They are enjoying the fact that the Son of God is in their presence. That these people who had no hope have hope. And I believe it is the one thing that we as Christians have struggled with the most, that we are to have joy that is an overflow from our salvation. You say, not me, Jake. I believe in carrying my big black Bible into church with the biggest frown I can have. When I go to work on Monday, I want them to know that I suffered through church yesterday and I'm ready. No! There ought to be joy unspeakable. You and I should have an overflow of joy, not happiness that depends on the happenings around us, but a joy that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That while I know that this world has trials and tribulations, He is above them. I know that problems and situations arise, but I know that He will not leave me nor forsake me. I know that the struggle is real. I know that there are stupid people everywhere I go. But if I will keep my eye on Him, if I will focus on Him, if I will trust Him, then I know whom I have believed in. And what he says is, is what you are doing is not what is important. He says you're going through the religious exercise, but you're missing the fact that the Messiah is here. He says, I'm here. You ought to be embracing me, following me, worshiping me. That's why Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I claim to be? We know that Peter says, you are the Son of God. right? And we know that that is the focus. And so today, whether you have been in church for the first time or your entire life, never let the things of God become more important than God. Never let the rituals and the things that we do become more important to you than who He is. Don't let the blessings become more important than the blessing, the blesser. Because look in verse 20. He says, but the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. He says, I'm I'm leaving. He's talking about the fact that he is going to the cross. That he's going to die on the cross for their sins that He's going to be buried, that He's going to rise again, that He is going to reveal Himself. And then He's going back to heaven. He says, then the time to mourn is there. But you know what the wonderful thing about that is? Jesus said, it is better for you that I go, because when I go, and there will be fasting and mourning, what happens? Then the Comforter will come. You see, the Lord is telling us that we are going to have trials and tribulations. He was telling them that there are problems and struggles. But He says, you need to focus on what matters. And that is Him. That is Him for your salvation. Not the religious exercises. Not the two-day-a-week fasting. Not the everyday church attendance or, in their case, the temple. He says it's all about Him. If you want to know Him, you have to love Him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, it doesn't say the Pharisees and John's disciples. It just says John's disciples. 
Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? I think this is important because these men had heard the truth. These men had been with John. These men knew what to look for. But yet they weren't looking at the right thing, the right person. And friends, you can go to hell just as easy from this church as you can anywhere. You can sit in a church and think your baptism is going to save you. The Lord's Supper is going to save you. How much you give is going to save you. How many times you're here is going to save you. But yet the Bible says you are not saved by works. It is by faith and the grace of God, the mercy of God, repenting of your sins, turning and trusting in Him. And so we see there's some self-righteousness. We see there's joy that comes from a relationship with the Lord. We see that there is a prediction of His death. But what He's really saying is that Jesus changes everything. Second and final thing that I have this morning is that Jesus explains the truth in a simple way for them to understand. That's it. He says, this is what I've just told you, but I want to give you two examples from your everyday life to help you understand this. I think this is so important. Because I've been in church a whole long, a lot of times, and it was so over the heads of everyday people. It was so targeted to how smart we can be, how educated we can be, how high and lofty we can be. But Jesus gives us an example that anyone in the crowd would have understood. Today I want you to know that is the case. The Lord is willing to reach down into your life wherever you are at. Whether you have been in church your whole life, can quote every book of the Bible, can quote every verse that someone mentions, whether this is your first time here, whether you are a new Christian and you're struggling to figure out where in the world the book of Hezekiah even is at. This morning I want you to see this. He gives them two examples. One of a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. They would have known that if you had a tear or a hole in your clothing and you would have sewed that to it, the first time it got wet, or the first time it would have got wet and dry, it then would have shrunk too small for the patch that you would have put on there. And that article of clothing, it wasn't like you could just run to Kohl's, right? It wasn't like you could just uh, run to Walmart, right? Their clothes would have been different. It would have been uh, made different. They would have been made with, you would have had less of them. And so if you tore something, like I tore the pair of my britches this week, I just threw them in the trash. I didn't re-sew them. But they would have fixed it. They would have patched this. That's how my, great, my grandmother, Gray, that's how she was. If she loved you, you were getting something sewed. Right? It was a pair of jeans. It was a shirt. I wore a pair of uh, pants that had a stitch or something on them. I'm like, my grandma did that. Now I can't figure out why you people wear clothes that have nothing on them. All right? right? You want them that way. But anyway... But what would have happened is it would have ripped. And what it would have ripped, it would have left a bigger hole. And what Jesus is saying is you are trying to earn the love of God by the things you're doing, by this Old Testament law. And he says it's not enough. 
He says it's not enough. John the Baptist's disciples had heard the truth, but yet they couldn't let go of the way things were. They couldn't follow Jesus. They couldn't trust Jesus. And what Jesus says is, is you're worse off than you were before. You've got enough knowledge to make you dangerous. You've got enough knowledge to get you confused. That's why the New Testament even says it would be better to never to have heard than to have heard and to have been exposed. He goes on and talks about the wine. And, and this is a little more gory, so I won't go into all of the, of the detail. But one commentator says this. They would kill a goat. Take the hide of the goat and use the neck as a spout. Sew up the places where the legs were and any openings that they would have a goatskin pouch. Fresh leather. They would fill it with new wine. They would leave it for a period of time and the bitterness would go to the bottom. And then they would pour it out of one skin into another skin. And they would keep pouring and keep moving from one to the other. They could make vinegar. They would eventually get this wine. But if something happened, if you didn't put the wine in there, it would begin to crack. The leather would begin to be no good. And so if you let it sit for a while, let it be unused for a while, and then what put new wine in it, it would begin to leak through the cracks. It would be no good. And what Jesus is saying, it's the gospel and only the gospel. It's not listen to Jesus, follow Jesus, and then realize I can't let go of the old. I can't let go of the sacrifices. I can't let go of the Old Testament law. I can't let go of all of these worshiping things that had been added to Judaism. Jesus says you can't go back to where you were. It's Him and only Him. And this morning, our petition to you, our request of you, is to know this, that there is nothing you can do to earn the love of God. There is nothing that you can do that can add to your relationship with the Lord in making Him love you. The Bible says that He loved you and died for you, took your sin and your shame, to the cross with Him. And He says it's all about Him. This morning you need to know that if you are going to stand before God someday when you leave this world, and the Bible says that we will all, it is appointed to man to die and then the judgment, that when you and I fall on our faces before the Lord, if you are hoping for anything other than the righteousness of Jesus accounted to your account, Nothing else will work. You say, but Jake, I have done great things for God. The Bible says it won't be enough. Jesus said there will be people who say, we've prophesied in your name. We've healed in your name. We've worked in your name. And he will say, I, apart from me, I never knew you. See, this morning I hope that you are serving God. I hope that you are loving God. I hope that you will take the Lord's Supper with us. I hope that you will give and do all of the things that God wants us to do, not to earn His love, but because He loves us. But the most important thing today we want you to know as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper is, do you really know Him?
Today, can you honestly say, I am a forgiven sinner. I know that I have broken the law of God. I know I have sinned against God. But I also know that I am loved by God. And I have accepted the free gift of salvation to offer that has been given to me. I hope that you can say that today. You say, Jake, what if I can't? What if I've never repented of my sins and called upon the name of the Lord? Today can be that day. That's why I wanted to have the invitation before we have the Lord's Supper today. Because I hope that if you don't know Him, that the Spirit of God is dealing with you. And I'll be standing right down here and would love to show you what the Word of God says about being saved. If you're here today and you're a child of God and you know that you're saved, but man, you're running back to those things. Well, if I can just do this or if I can just do that, I, you cannot make God love you more. You can't earn it. And so today, some of you, I believe, just need to come and say, God, I'm just going to enjoy what you've given me. Just come and say, God, help me to be thankful for the gift that I have been given. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, Jake, I, I know there are things in my life. I know I haven't forgiven someone. I know I'm, I'm bitter about something. I, I know there's something that no one else knows about. And today is that day to come and say, Lord, set me free. Maybe today it's that you need to pray for someone else. Whatever it is, the Bible says that before we take the Lord's Supper, we are to allow the Spirit to evaluate us, to examine us, and then we are to take it with joy and remembrance of how much that God loves us. And so today as we have a time of invitation, whether you pray where you're at or whether you pray here, I hope that you will know in whom you have believed. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, you knew that we would be here today. You knew that this would be going on today, months ago. You've always known it, Lord, as you put us on this path. Today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in the lives of this group of people. Lord, that you would be convicting, that you would be dealing, that you'd be working Lord, I pray for those in this room today that don't know you. It doesn't matter, Lord, if they're on our rolls or not. Lord, that today they would leave here knowing they are loved by you and have a relationship with you. Father, I pray for this group of people. Lord, I'm so thankful for them. Lord, I just I love them and I appreciate the, the many blessings that you've given us, Lord. But, Lord, we are still sinners and we still struggle. And so, Lord, help us to be honest and humble and open before you this morning. And, Lord, whatever needs to go on in this place, I pray that you will allow it to happen and that it's all for your glory. And, Lord, I ask it all in your precious name. Amen.